Good morning, Redemption. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Kids resemble their parents. I saw my nephew about a week ago and hadn't seen him in a while. He's grown up a lot bigger, a lot taller. It's like, oh my gosh, man, you look like spitting image of your dad, just like him. You got the dimples, the cheekbones, facial structure, the hair, all that. Uh, he is like a mini-me version of my brother. <laughs> it was kind of shocking to see. And this is true for us, like whether in our genetics or DNA, like we resemble physically often our parents. Only it's not just how we look, it's also how we act. There are studies that have been done on kids like walking like their parents. A child holding the crown the same way that dad holds his pen. Or laughing the same way as moms laugh. Moms laugh, right? We resemble our parents not only from our nature, but in our nurture. Not only in our genetics, but in our behavior, we resemble our parents. Now, this resemblance, that can either be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what area you're talking about, right? I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in marital counseling with, with folks, and, and they're kind of going, man, I always said, I'm never going to be like my dad, or I'm never going to be like my mom in this way. And then kind of the stress and the pressures of family and of life and things hit, and you say, oh my gosh, I see, it's, it's my dad coming out. It's, it's my mom coming out. I am my dad. I am my Mom, for better or worse, we resemble our parents. Well, today, we're going to see that Jesus is asking us, he's asking, who do you resemble? Where are you getting your life from? In essence, who's your daddy, right? (laughs) Your heavenly father or another father? Which One, are you resembling getting your life from? Because Jesus is going to tell us today that there is another father. There is a father who is a liar and a murderer. And you do not want your life to be generated by him, to be shaped by him, to be molded by him. You don't want your life to reflect him. But there is good news that there is our heavenly father who is a good father, who is a good, good father, who is a true father, And the beauty of the gospel is Jesus has come that we might be regenerated by this father. We might find our life in him, our character in him, that our lives might be shaped and molded by our father as his sons and daughters and his family. So the title for the message this morning is Family Resemblance. Let's jump in in John chapter eight and see who do we resemble. Beginning John chapter eight, beginning in verse 38. Jesus says, I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. First thing Jesus says here is that's not your dad. That's not your dad. 
This is kind of a Jerry Springer moment. This is like Jerry Springer where he's got the Pharisees on the stand and in the public spotlight. And he's like, those guys you thought were your dads, that ain't your dad. (laughs) That is not your father. Jesus says that Abraham and God are not their father. And that would have been shocking. Let's start with the Abraham claim. Jesus says, Abraham's not your father. That would have been shocking because they are Israelites. They got the genealogy, the pedigree on their side. If they did Ancestry.com, like the report would come back saying Abraham's children. And so they're like, what are you talking about, Jesus? See, they they come back saying, we we weren't born of sexual immorality. They say here. And in a lot of ways, that's probably a jab at Jesus and his identity. They're kind of going, hey, man, we we know who our dads are. We got the family tree going back. But we're not sure who your dad is like we knew mary she was pregnant we saw her belly coming up but she hadn't really been with joseph yet and so we're really not sure there's a whole birther conspiracy going on with jesus's lineage and where he's come from they're questioning could you actually be the messiah because we don't know where you've come from yet jesus pushes back going i know that you're not abraham's kids because you don't look anything like him he says here In verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. She's saying, you don't share the family resemblance. Like I'm looking and those apples don't look like they're falling anywhere near that tree. What were the works that Abraham did? Well, Abraham, he trusted and obeyed God. He's famous in the biblical story that he trusted and obeyed God. God. He is the father of faith. In Genesis 26, verse 5, God explains why he delighted in Abraham. He says, he delights in Abraham because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Abraham trusted the word of God. They are seeking to kill the word of God when he's standing right there in front of them. Jesus is saying, in essence here, what it means to be a true child of Abraham is driven not by biology, but by belief. Not by biology, but by belief. And we see this gets unpacked more in the New Testament. Paul in Romans 4 talks about this. He says that Abraham, he was justified by faith, that he trusted God and obeyed God even before he was circumcised, even before the works of the law, even before he would have children. And so uh, Paul goes on to say that if we place our trust and faith in Christ, the one that was promised to Abraham, then Abraham is the father of us all. Galatians 8.29, or 3.29, Paul says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Jesus is saying the same thing here. He's going, what makes you a true child of Abraham is driven not by biology in the sense as rather by belief. But Jesus goes farther. He also says that God is not their father in verse 42. Because they push back and they go, well, hey, we have one father, even God. And in verse 42, Jesus says, well, if God were your father, you would love me. And the picture here is, once again, you don't look like God the father because the father loves me. And if he was your father, you would share that family resemblance and you would love me too. Jesus is saying that the mark, the sign of being a true child of God, the heavenly father, is that we love Jesus. 
like the Father loves Jesus. That those who are of the Father will love his Son as the Father loves the Son. Because the apple doesn't fall from the tree, and if you're a child of God, you love Jesus. Now, there is a famous scene in The Jerk. It's kind of an old comedy movie, right? Where uh, Steve Martin, he is raised, uh, he's white, but he's raised up in a black family. And in this movie, uh, he doesn't realize, however, that he's adopted. And so there are all these kind of humorous scenes where he seems to just stand out. You know, he's got no rhythm, can't clap. He likes different kind of food, like he likes the tab soda and the Twinkies, whatever. And finally, on his 18th birthday, he's so distressed. He's like, Mom, I just feel like there's something different about me. And she's like, you're 18. It's time we let you know you're adopted. (laughs) And his response, you mean I'm going to stay this color? (laughs) He was waiting for that to change. (laughs) But it's humorous that he's grown up and he couldn't tell that he didn't share the family resemblance. Even though he was around it, he didn't share the family resemblance. And there's actually a bit of a comedy trope around this, around uh, someone kind of growing up and not realizing that uh, their life has come from somewhere else. Uh, The classic Christmas movie, Elf, with Will Ferrell, where the beginning he is raised, he's he's a human, uh, and he's growing up with elves, but he doesn't realize that he's not an elf himself, even though he's like 10 foot tall and towering around everyone. And, you know, doing the etch-a-sketches and whatever. And, until finally he accidentally overhears one day going, man, if he hasn't figured it out by now, he's never going to figure it out. And the shock of, whoa. Yeah. And it's humorous because it's oblivious to them, even though it's obvious to everyone else from the outside looking in, that they don't share the family resemblance. And Jesus is saying something similar here in the sense of going, like, you guys seem oblivious to it but it's obvious as I'm looking from the outside in that you don't share the family resemblance of Abraham. You don't share the family resemblance of God, the father. You don't share the family resemblance of Abraham because if you did, you would trust and obey God. And yet you're seeking to kill me. You don't share the family resemblance of God, the father, because if you did, you would love me. And yet you're apathetic, even antagonistic towards me. I believe Jesus is asking us, who do you resemble? Do we resemble the Father? Both the fathers of the faith, do we resemble Father Abraham, so to speak? Do we obey and trust God? Again, for us, this might not be like biology, right? We're not looking at our family pedigree like the Pharisees were. We can look to other things that we think make us insiders. Like, God, I I go to church on Sunday, I read my Bible, I I do these things, and yet there can be kind of these hidden corners of our heart or of our life where we're not actually being shaped and growing and resembling the life and character of our good Father. Or maybe it's not so much sort of quote-unquote Christian bars of righteousness, maybe it's more of kind of uh, cultural bars of righteousness. We were going like, man, I'm a good person, God. Like I, I, I eat organic, I ride my bike to work, I support an international nonprofit and, and somewhere else in the world, whatever. And, and these are good things that can flow out of good life, but we can have these other areas in our life that we're saying, God, this is off limits. I don't need to resemble you here. I've got kind of my, my clutches in this area. And Jesus is going, that doesn't work if God is your dad, if he is your father, then he's going to shape 
your life to resemble him always. And we see a, this being a major problem today. I think of uh, Ravi Zacharias, maybe you've seen in the news, like a, a famous Christian leader who, on the outside looking at it, looks like, man, he's got the shiny pedigree and all. But as time goes on, the news comes out, things come out, it's like, dude, there were skeletons in the closet. There is abuse and things where it's like, you did not resemble your father. And I believe Jesus comes to us and with truth and honesty and clarity, and he wants to point out and pull open areas of your life where you might not be resembling the trust and obedience of Abraham, where you might not be resembling the love of the father for his son right now. And Jesus wants to pull those open and go, dude, you need to own up to this because I want to help you come with me and learn how to resemble your father. We also see here that Jesus calls out both antagonism towards him and apathy towards him. In verse 40, see, in verse 40, he tells them uh, that they're seeking to kill him. He calls out their antagonism. But in verse 42, he says, you don't love me. He's calling out their apathy towards him. They don't love him. And I'd suggest today that I think apathy can be a bigger problem for us in this moment than antagonism. If you go back 10, 20 years ago, I think antagonism was maybe the bigger thing. I noticed in our culture, uh, the moment we were in, there was like the new atheists and Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and these folks who were kind of uh, virulently hostile to the Christian faith. And a lot of the questions that were coming both from without the church and then also within the church were attacks on the character of God and whether we can really trust Jesus' authority. But it seems in the last 10, 20 years since then, the last decade or so, my experience has been that we're characterized more by apathy. Just kind of, meh. Not so much I don't want as I, I don't need it. Like my life is going okay on its own. I got my craft coffee. I got my yoga class. I got my beers at five with the guys. I got my whatever the things are. And again, they can be good things. They don't have to be bad things per se, but we can have these other things. We're just kind of going like, man, my life is going okay on its own. There's kind of an apathy towards Jesus. Maybe I'll show up on a Sunday, whatever, but I believe Jesus is going, no, to the family resemblance, to resemble your heavenly father is to love Jesus. They say that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And the question for you this morning is, are you indifferent towards Jesus? Because Jesus is going, that's not the family resemblance. The family resemblance is that you would trust and obey God. So let's get the skeletons out of the closet and let's actually dress and deal with reality and truth on where you're really at right now. And the reality of resembling your heavenly father is that you would love me like the father loves me. And so if you're apathetic towards me right now, that's a sign that you're not actually resembling the family resemblance of the family of God. Jesus has come to make you a child of God. And so he wants to shape your life that you would love him like the father loves him, that you would trust and obey God like Abraham does, that we would actually be formed as the family of God, as children of God, as people who love Jesus and trust and obey God with all that we are from the inside out, everything his. Amen? Amen. So Jesus has told them who their father is not, and now he's gonna go on to tell them who their father is. So let's keep going in verse 43. <clears throat> He says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He lies because he's a liar, right? Like, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus says, in essence, you guys have got the devil's DNA, right? Like I did a paternity test and it came back like spawn of Satan. (laughs) Now, one of the first things we have to recognize is this is harsh language. Commentators note that this is the harshest language in the gospel of John. I believe it's also worthy of our attention that this language has been misused in history to fuel anti-Semitism, for example. Uh, One of the horrors of the Holocaust, the Holocaust was obviously horrible all the way around, Uh, but one tragedy is that this language was misused against the Jews, that the Nazis were able to say, like, see, even here Jesus calls them sons of the devil. So I think it's important that we address here just the harshness of Jesus' language. What is going on? on here and confront its abuse or misuse. First is to recognize that Jesus is not attacking their ethnicity, right? Jesus is Jewish. His disciples are Jewish. So he's not attacking the Jewish uh, people as a whole. In John, this phrase, the Jews or Judai, it is a phrase that John uses for the temple leadership and their opposition to him seeking to kill him. Uh, But it's not speaking by any means to the people as a whole, because almost everybody in the gospel of John is Jewish, right? Like they're in Israel. So Jesus is not attacking their ethnicity. He is attacking their character. He's saying that you guys are lying and murdering, which is a sign where things are coming from. The devil, who's a liar and a murderer. And so one of the horrific ironies is that in the Holocaust, that um, the Nazis are lying and murdering as they're accusing the Jews of being sons of the devil, right? Did you catch it? That they are, that the Nazis are henchmen of Satan, and yet they're using that language against the very people that they're inflicting it upon. And so the solution, I would suggest, to the harshness of Jesus' language here, it is not to uh, lighten it, not to soften Jesus' words, but rather to broaden it, to broaden the scope of Jesus' words. Because what we see in the broader scope of the gospel, that you and I, we are all the ones whose sin has put Christ on the cross. In Romans 5, 8, Paul says that it was your sin and my sin while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us as his enemies. And so the confrontation here is with the reality of sin in our uh, lives as humanity and that we all have been henchmen of Satan, right? We have been willing volunteers in the kingdom of darkness in one way or another in our lives. And so Jesus is calling out the gravity of sin, the seriousness of sin, and yet in love, he has gone to the cross to redeem and reconcile us to himself. Well, Jesus highlights and emphasizes here the character 
of God's enemy. He says that he is a liar and a murderer. In verse 44, he, says, he talks about uh, the, the devil's desires, saying he was a murderer from the beginning. And he goes on, he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. I love that. Like, he lies because he's a liar. He murders, he's a murderer. It's just, it's what's in him. It what comes, it's what comes out of him. The character of God's enemy is a liar and a murderer. And he passes on his family resemblance to those who are receiving their life and their nurture from him. I was reading an article recently on this uh, troll factory in St. Petersburg. Maybe you've heard of it. It's interesting. It's called the Internet Research Agency. And they had conscripted over a 1,000 recruits, employees with a high salary. And their goal was explicitly was to exploit division and, uh, and create disinformation in America. And so St. Petersburg in Russia, they hired these trolls. If you imagine a big building, like a warehouse with loads of people on the computers working, and there was someone up above them, the boss, who would hand them the script for the day, and he would give them kind of the overarching themes that, hey, here's the kind of lies we're going to try and uh, disseminate today. And then they would take them and personalize them and make them their own and try and uh, spread them out. So there was an example in this article of, uh, for example, one uh, one of the former employees would talk about, hey, you know, I would create like a, a pro-immigration group and then an anti-immigration group, and I would put the most extreme caricatured versions of those positions on each side, uh, presenting myself as an American, whatever, and then I would get all these folks over here riled up and all these folks over here riled up. And there were stories in places where there'd be like violent confrontations in places in America where uh, and each side was kind of going... They think this, and the other side going, they think that. And a lot of uh, this was being fueled and disseminated by someone the other side of the world. And I read that, and I thought, man, what a powerful image of how the enemy works. Like Satan runs a troll factory, right? Like the demons are like his minions and he is handing down the script of lie and murder and how he wants to exploit divisiveness with disinformation and to uh, like fuel the flames of division and to create hostility and to get people turned against one another. And Satan is throwing fuel on the flames and he's got this entire system working, going to tear apart the world. And I wonder, who's the devil lying to you about today. Maybe that thing some friend said to you and you hear the voice of saying, well, man, what they really meant was this. Like, they don't respect you. They don't like you. They're opposing. Like, you got to distance yourself from them. You got to throw some, some fodder back at them and nursing that resentment, fueling that bitterness like, who is he speaking to you? Maybe it's not a friend or some person. Maybe it's a, a particular group of people. Maybe there's uh, some kind of uh, folks in, in your life or in our church or in uh, some, some part of the world, whatever it could be, where the enemy's kind of fueling, going, hey, this is who they really are. This is, who they, this is who, what they really think. This is, this is what they're going to do to you if you don't step in and take control now. Don't listen the voice of the enemy. Got to take down the trolls, <laughs> block them. The voice of the demons when they step into their, your life. And here's one of the interesting things is the devil loves to work in disguise. Right? Think about the, 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 the troll factory from St. Petersburg. And one of the interesting things is like, you're online 
And you think you're interacting with like Ann Shapley in Minnesota, right? And you see her profile pic and her, you know, just the nice mom and doing whatever. And, and really, dude, it's, other side, it's Boris in St. Petersburg, like, you know, like pushing the things through. And similarly, I believe Satan loves to work in disguise. He loves to work through the voice of other people. I think the question is, do you recognize the devil when he's in disguise? Jesus did. When Peter, famously, his best friend, tried to prevent Jesus from going to the cross, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Jesus recognized his worst enemy in the voice of his best friend. And I wonder, have you attuned yourself enough to be aware of the devil's lies to recognize them when they try and work their way in and get their chinks underneath your armor? It's been said one of the greatest tricks the devil ever pulled was trying to convince us that he didn't exist. Because then we would let our guard down. We would be oblivious. And I believe the reality is that we live in a world where there is spiritual warfare and we need to be on guard with the presence of Jesus and the, the, the armor of God to withstand the attacks of the enemy. That's interesting. Uh, there was a Russian journalist who went undercover and kind of exposed this, this troll factory. And she talked about this phrase she used that struck me. She said, their mission is to, quote, wrap assigned ideas around the most personal stories. Say again, to wrap assigned ideas around the most personal stories. Flabos went off for me. That's the same, that's the same thing the enemy does. He's got the same old lies. He's got the same old stories, but he wants to work them in into the intricacies of your story. And so it's still the same old thing. It's God doesn't love you. God's abandoned you. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Those are the same old lies. And yet what he wants to do is weave those in into the, that, that voice, the thing that your friend said, that experience you had growing up, the thing that was done to you, that thing that you did. He's the accuser. And he wants to use those things to shape you and deform you. But don't listen to him. I think Jesus here is essentially going, dude, the devil is a deadbeat dad, right? Like he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. His goal is to abuse you. It is to betray you. It is to abandon you. It is to walk out on you. Do not shape your life from his. Do not get your life from him because he is unreliable. He is mischievous. He is a fiend, right? You don't want your life coming from the enemy of God because he will leave you in the dirt. And so Jesus is confronting and calling out the lies of the enemy, the reality of the enemy, these things, because this is, there's gravity to it. There's a seriousness to it. We do not want our lives to resemble that father. We do not want to be shaped in the image of him as a family. So we need to take on the armor of God, the presence of Christ, and resist the schemes of the devil. But the good news is that there is another father, a good, good father who rejoices to make us his child. Jesus turns to him now. So let's continue in verse 48. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you, Jesus, that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Now they're attacking his origins. Right? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor who? My father. And you dishonor me. 
Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. He's just saying, take it up with my dad, right? We find here is that Jesus is the son of God who can make you a child of God. Hold on one second. I cut off a little too early. Verse 51 here. We go back. 51 says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus is saying that he is the son of God who can make you a child of God. He's the eternal son of God who has come to regenerate us with the very spirit, presence, life of his father. Now, they attack Jesus' origins here in verse 48 when they say, dude, you're a Samaritan, right? And again, they're kind of going like, dude, we know Mary's your mom, but we're not sure who your dad is. And Samaritans were those who uh, were half Jewish and half uh, not. And so they are attacking his messianic lineage here. Like, well, we're not sure who your dad is. We're not sure, Jesus, where you've come from, his origin. And they also accuse him of having a demon. Here they're attacking where his power has come from. They see him doing these miracles, doing these phenomenal things, and they're going, man, this is the demonic trying to deceive us. They want to discredit Jesus by attacking where he's from, and yet Jesus knows who he is. I love how confident Jesus is in who he is. He says, you know, they, they go, we're not sure who your father is. And Jesus knows who his father is. He says, hey, I honor my father, my father God. You dishonor me. He says, I'm not seeking my own glory, but there is one. The father is seeking my glory. I am his son. He is seeking my glory and he will be the judge. Take it up with my dad. When they attack, attack Jesus' identity, it's interesting to observe, how does he respond? He points to his father. Jesus essentially says, I know where I've come from and you can't take that away. I remember uh, worked on the Navajo reservation back in the day. And it was interesting, whenever I would meet folks and we'd kind of introduce ourselves, the way introductions would work was that uh, people would always introduce themselves first by telling me uh, what people they were from and what place they were from. And so it would be like, I'm John Babbitt from the Babbitt clan up on Yucca Mountain area, right? And this was interesting because it was such a shocking contrast with how I and people I knew tend to introduce myself, right? Like, I'd be like, hey, I'm Josh. I work at Timberline Software. Um, I like reading, reading books, playing guitar, hiking, whatever. I would talk about my work and my hobbies and things that were more intrinsic or internal to me. And yet they and most people actually throughout history saw their identity as first and foremost bound up in the people they were from and the place they were from. That had a shaping formative effect on their identity. And I believe similarly that Jesus is doing something similar here. When they attack his identity, he points first to the people he's from, his, the person he's from, his father, and the place that he's from, heaven. It's like, I know where I've come from. And I know my father who's got my back. He will vindicate me in the end. And when the enemy attacks you, I wonder, where do you go? Do you tend to first look within and kind of go, well, hey, check out my resume. Here's the work I've done. Here's, here's how good I've been. Here's, here's the things that I've accomplished with my life. Uh, or, because that doesn't work, right? Like those are works and that doesn't work. 
you don't have the strength or the power to stand up under the weight of the enemy on your own. Do we look within or do we look without to where we've come from? And going, I know that my citizenship is in heaven. I know that my heavenly father is with me and for me and he cares for me. And so get behind me, Satan. Like you don't, you don't get to order me around, right? Jesus shows us that when the enemy attacks, look to your father. And Jesus makes us children of God. In verse 51, he says, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Basically saying like, if you're with me, if you're in me, like you get to participate in my victory because I'm gonna make you a child of God. I'm gonna fill you with my spirit. I'm gonna make you a child of God and the family of God. And you're going to resemble the father's resemblance. So I believe that when Satan tries to order you around, one of the best things that we can do as believers is just raise your voice, stand up big and tell him, you ain't my dad, right? Like you don't get to boss me around. You don't get to tell me because I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. I know my heavenly father has my back. And so I don't have to listen to you. It's like being a kid on the playground. When some kid's trying to order you around, you ain't my dad, right? When Satan comes, he tries to get in your business. Like first we got to recognize the voice of the devil in disguise. But when he does, we need to say back, you don't get to define my life because my father defines my life. I don't look anything like you. Look in the mirror, devil. I don't want to look like your ugly mug. I want to look like my father because he's good and he's got my back and he's shaping me as his child to be like him. Not today, Satan. Get behind me. I believe we need to play whack-a-mole with the lies of the enemy. I was thinking this week, if you remember a game whack-a-mole, like the arcade, the video arcade, where you got like a little holes and the mole would come up and you have to find it, you know, bop it quick with the little mallet. And the reason is because if you let the moles come up in your garden, they're going to ruin your garden. They're going to go around and get in everything. Uh, but once you get into the habit of recognizing them and whacking them, it actually becomes kind of fun. It's kind of a fun game, right? And so similarly, like it's been said, Satan doesn't control us with fang marks on the flesh, but with lies in the heart. And so I believe when the moles, the, his demons, his words, his lies, when those come up, I believe we need to play whack-a-mole with them and whack them down. When he whispers to you, God doesn't love you. Bam! Jesus died for me, right? When he says, God's abandoned you. He's left the building. Whack! Right? Jesus said, he'll never leave me or forsake me. He's given me his presence and I know that he is with me. When he says, your dad said, you'll never amount to nothing. Whack. My heavenly father says, I don't have to. I've got nothing to prove. I've got no one to impress because my security is not in my works. It is in his grace and he has called me his child. So get out. You ain't my dad, Right? Now, there is a family resemblance to the family of God that Jesus is calling us as his people to resemble. He is going, church, you are children of the heavenly father of God most high. And that means that you are not to listen to the voice and the wiles and the schemes of the enemy, but rather to trust and obey God like Abraham did, to love Jesus like the father does, to give everything of who we are to Jesus and that he is not just gonna clean up your behavior. He's gonna regenerate you from the inside 
out. That's what God's presence does. It actually transforms you and shapes you and calls you his own. And he gives us not just some stuff to figure it out on our own. He gives us his presence. The heavenly father has given you his presence to make you his child, to conform you to the image of his son, that we might reflect and display more brilliantly the glory of God. So I want to ask you this morning, the question for us is who do you resemble? Who are you listening to? Where are you taking your cues from? Where are you looking to get your life from? We're going to take a moment here in prayer, silence before God to listen, listen for the voice of his spirit. And as we do, I want to invite you to reflect on, man, Jesus, is there any lie the devil's been speaking right now? Are there there any of those moles that need to get whacked down? Are there any of those trolls that need to get blocked and pushed out? Because I don't want them speaking into my life anymore, Jesus. I want to know your voice. So let's take a a moment here to listen in prayer. And yeah, Jesus, I just want to consecrate this time. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, confront the lies of the enemy, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak your truth. Father, I have a sense, God, just there's, man, there's someone who grew up under the oppression of an unhealthy father. God, there were lies spoken, wounds created. God, I want to ask whether your, your truth would seek in, sink in. God, that you are a good father whose love runs deeper, whose grace is bigger and wider. Saying, I love you. You are my child. I called you my own. I speak life where the enemy sought to bring death. I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you to the end. You are my child. Father, I pray for all of us. We want to share your family resemblance. I pray that we would trust and obey you as like Abraham did. We'd be a people of belief. People who believe in you, have faith in you, walk with you, who place our trust in Christ. And Father, we wanna love Jesus like you love Jesus. So God, I pray against any apathy in us this last season. Maybe we've been in survival mode, just trying to get by and, Whatever that is, God, I pray, Lord, that you would carve out time and the space in our heart, that you would pour fuel the flames of affection and desire for Jesus in us, Lord, as your people.
Shape us as your children, God. We want to resemble your son. Thank you that you have called us your children. We don't need to listen to the eyes of the, en- the lies of the enemy that when he comes, Lord, we can take our confidence and identity, our cues, not on ourselves, but by looking to you and knowing that you stand right there with us. Jesus, in your name, under your authority and for your glory that we pray. Amen. Well, as the band comes up and we prepare to receive communion, the invitation this morning is to the Son of God. But as the children of God, we come before the Father and we celebrate in the presence of the power of his spirit, we celebrate the Son of God, Jesus, who died to make us children of God. Again, not just to clean up your behavior, but to regenerate you from the inside out with the new life of God. Jesus came to defeat the lies of the enemy by taking his lies and his murder, burying all that on his own body on the cross. And so as we take of the bread this morning, we celebrate his sacrifice given for us. You may receive the bread. As we come to the wine, Jesus gave his life to give us life, to restore us as image bearers, those who more accurately and fully reflect the character of the Father in the world, his goodness, his glory, and his beauty. And so as we receive uh, the wine, if you're a follower of Jesus, let's receive the wine and the juice. children of God, let's stand together and let's worship our Father. Let's worship the Son. Let's worship Christ and His Spirit.